All right, you guys, let's get this started then, right? Because really, what could go wrong once you press record? Right? Exactly, what could go wrong? <laughs> it's all going to be very perfect. I think that is an appropriate start to what is the Crazy People podcast. Uh, Chris, <laughs> I, I welcome you um, to this podcast, welcome you being on. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to, for joining us here. And um, with me is my partner in crime, Russ. Um, how are you today? Very well, sir. Very well. It's very good to, to talk to you and to talk to Chris again this morning. All right. All right, Chris. So um, could, you, could you do us a favor and give us a quick introduction of like, who are you? Where are you from? What is your connection to either one of us? Yeah, absolutely. So Chris Weedmar, based here in Louisville, Kentucky in the United States, um, I believe Russ and I got connected initially through an NFT project called Party Horses, and I'm one of the co-founders of Party Horses. And so this is a project that we initially kicked off or we, we, we formed the group initially back in uh, December of 2021. And then we launched the project officially in uh, March of this year. And from there, it's kind of gone a bunch of different ways and continues to go a lot of different ways. And, um, you know, Russ and I connected over whether it be like in-person community events we would have uh, or just different um, bottle pickups that we would have because our NFT was tied to a bottle of Maker's Mark. And and I think with and, and obviously the, and the other thing I'll add to that is, See, we have, oh, right. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> Looking good. Uh, and, the, and, the, and we also are, um, you know, in a, in a newer channel that I know a lot of folks are, are just. Some have been in for a while and some are, are, are hearing more and more about it. But Discord, um, we've got a pretty pretty good sized group uh, and community in Discord. So I'll see Russ in there as, a, as well digitally um, if, I, if I don't see him in person, if that makes sense. So, you know, since it's uh, some kind of a business podcast here, give me, a, give me a background of where do you come from? What is your field that you, that you work in? Um, what are your interests that you work in? Yeah. And, you know, starting back, I've always been interested by technology, um, whether it be software, hardware, tools. Um, and when I graduated college, oh, 14, 15 years ago, it was one of those things that I had majored in marketing and management, but didn't know what I wanted to be. Um, and as luck would have it, I started out doing working for an IT staffing company. So it was an interesting mix of people putting them in jobs and putting them in technology jobs. So it was a yeah. great way for me to learn about technology and how it all works in, in a business, in the business world. And, and I made a lot of great connections while doing that. And, and a lot of those connections were more on the software development side of the house. And so that's where I made a lot of friends and made a lot of inroads. And so starting out in IT staffing, I, I moved my progress through my career on the corporate side more into business development, consulting, working for some of the bigger uh, consulting and research firms in the world uh, where we would consult with CIOs and CTOs more on their business decisions. And that was a lot of fun. And doing those things, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit as well. So I've started, uh, I think Party Horse would be the fifth company I've started. Um, so I would do, I would kind of almost work for the corporate world for a little bit, do, a, on, do my own spinoff, hop back in. So some would have success on the on the uh, on the startups I would do, and and have an exit. Others would uh, would be, I guess, somewhat deemed a failure, and others kind of more break even and everything in between. Um, but 
you know, as, as I kind of told you guys in some of the questions we had in the dialogue before, before we started the podcast, you know, for me, it was always staying in that technology realm. I've always been fascinated by it and, and felt like I understood it. Um, and I think when I was m- more on the consulting side, I was able to really kind of get um, more wide on a variety of topics and understand a lot, you know, and then over time, I feel like I've kind of um, dove in on deeper topics that, that make more sense to me and resonate more with me um, for my career. But, um, but yeah, re- really the last four years, I've really kind of focused on certain projects that I want to work on um, that I have a part of, that I have a part in and have a say in. So, you know, it's, it's, it's probably going to be staying for me on the entrepreneur side and not go back to the corporate world. Um, I don't see that happening in my future. Looking at your, looking at your LinkedIn profile, Chris, your, your career trajectory is crazy. It is. It is. is. But, but it's, it's, it's super interesting because uh, it, it, I think it shows that you, you're willing to take a risk. Right. And I, and I think that translates into some of the stuff that you're, that you're doing today is that willing to try something risky, new, different, a little bit crazy, a lot crazy. Tell us more I think about that's, that. Yeah, I think that's definitely spot on. And my wife would, would echo those sentiments. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, and, and, and Russ, I think, um, I think some of the things I have done would probably be deemed, to your point, crazy to, you know, 95% of the world. Um, just because I don't think a lot of people go out and jump and start their own business on certain things, much less, you know, the, the stuff that we're doing now, which I think is even crazier in this Web3 and NFT world um, and, and jump in and do things like that either. But, you know, I, while it might be crazy to some, I think the benefit of having some wisdom of, of doing different roles and different jobs and being in different organizations, you can... Um, you can weigh that risk a little bit more, right? And so if, if you've got the right team going into a crazy project, you still have the support and feel good about it, right? If you, um, if you know you've got a product that is in demand for a company I was with called Roth River, we were putting sensors and data in, in bourbon barrels where I knew that there was a massive problem. While it seemed crazy that we could go in and put something inside of an old wooden barrel, like I, when I know there's a problem that can be fixed, it doesn't seem as crazy to me, right? While you know, we would talk to, I'll give you an example, like we would talk to a lot of people in the bourbon industry when we had this, this Roth River product. And they're like, oh, you could never do that. That's insane. Nobody would ever do that. And we're like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? We've got some pretty smart engineers that, that have figured out a way to get in the barrel that's non-invasive. And, and so for us, you know, I think a lot of the, especially on the startup side, a lot of the things that we've done, people would definitely say is crazy to even try it or entertain it. But I think when, when you kind of step back and you're living in it like we were or are, um, you, you kind of, you can, you can kind of almost, you know, you're almost, your head's almost in the trees a little bit and you kind of see out into the forest and say, okay, yeah, this is a little bit crazy, but also see how all these pieces are coming together and, and what it's making. And that, um, that's when it gets really fun in my opinion. So yeah, definitely some, some crazy and some, um, some, some things that would seem somewhat risky. Uh, but I, I think everything that we've done and I've done has been um, calculated as well to where knowing, hey, there's definitely some risk with some of these things, but I'm, I'm willing to take a chance and a bet that um, we'll probably win in the long run. So what are some of the motivators that you have to, to take a risk or to, to change direction and uh, to start something completely new? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's um, I, I enjoy solving problems and enjoy building teams. Those are two of the things I enjoy doing now. Like I said, I'm a, 
I'm just a marketing and management major by trade. I'm not an engineer, but I know I know how to bring on the right team and the right talent and kind of put the, the build a team and assemble a team to, to solve the problem and, and making sure that it's the right problem to solve, like we talked about earlier. Um, and so for me, that's a big driver. You know, we, we talked a little bit about Louisville already. To me, I'm passionate about where I'm from and where I live. And I want I want the city I'm in to be just as good and hopefully better for my kids to where they want to they want to live here when they grow up and not go to New York City or or Berlin. You know what I mean? Don't I love all those places, but I want Louisville to be just as cool. And I think I think for a city like that, you've got to have um, especially in today's day and age, I think you've got to have some form of, of technology of a technology ecosystem at the startup level. And I think that's where, you know, the things that we're, we've built, that we are building, I think those, the more and more we can do in the groups that we're with, it shines a light that, hey, you can do these things in Louisville. And hopefully that inspires other people to take a chance here as well. So that's another big thing that I'm passionate about is, is seeing the city grow um, because it's a place that I love and, and, and passionate about. Um, so that's a couple of the drivers for me. And just like I said before, I just like, I like challenges. And so if, especially if people can say, oh, this will never work or you can't do that. Um, I don't get to play as many sports as I did as a kid growing up. So, so the competition thing has always been there for me. And so, uh, so I like to compete and this is my way of getting competition now, instead of, you know, playing on a football field or a basketball court. Um, this is my way to kind of get that out, if that makes sense too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I surrendered my my claim to be a basketball player to my wife. Because ever <laughs> since uh, she keeps beating me and beating me, I'm like, okay, I'm not a ball player anymore. So <laughs> I had to find other fits too. But hey, since you mentioned uh, Louisville I, and that you're interested in, in growth of the city, I saw something that you that you seem to be passionate about. And that is an article that you read and commented about. It's a fast foodification of uh, of a uh, city or essentially everything that we live in um highlight that summarize that a little bit yeah there's a there's a uh, technologist and, and founder by the name of greg eisenberg that wrote that article um and and just some background on greg i mean he's he's been he's had some exits from some tech companies um but what i like about him is i think he sees the world in a little bit of a different lens And I think he views things in more of a community-led um, kind of, um, you know, whether it be not just cities, but just in general, whether it be marketing or, or go-to-market strategy, which I, I, I'm intrigued by how he thinks. And so, but, you know, really what he was kind of talking about was if you look, when he said the fast foodization was a lot of the cities, and really, like I said, you probably don't see it as much in Europe as we do in the States, but, you know, there's a number of cities, big cities that I could go to that you know, I get off the highway and they all look the exact same, right? There's 10 McDonald's and Walmarts and all these same retail chains. And, and there's just like, you don't have, you know, kind of like what we did back in the day where everything was unique and different. And, and that's not just, you know, restaurants and businesses, it, it's, it's buildings and architecture and streets. And, and I think that's something that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's been lacking, especially in America, um, you know, probably the last 20 to 30 years, And, you know, that his, his point was just saying that, you know, the benefits of the change that can come with that. Um, and and I'm, I definitely would have to agree with him. And it was a great article. And, and, you know, it's an easy article for those that haven't read it. Um, but, yeah, Greg Eisenberg's the author on that and um, one that definitely resonated and hit home with me. 
Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I agree because it's it's in Europe you have it too. I mean, some of the architecture not going to change that quick because it's grown for the past 1,000 or 2,000 years or <laughs> some of the cities even longer. But in terms of how people look like and what they're consuming, it's all the same, right? Because like, 10, 20, 30 years ago, it was something special to go to the US and buy certain brands. And then you would go to France, buy other brands and Italy, buy yet completely different set. But now you have like essentially all the same, right? It's, it's like plus one or two, but the core 50% is the same that you can get everywhere, right? And that's, that's an interesting thing. So how do you keep Louisville from becoming that, right? Another carbon copy of uh, some city. Yeah, and I think, you know, we touched on it a little bit. I think, I think if you wait and depend on the government, you know, whether it be local, state, national and i'm not going to get political on the podcast but you know if, if you wait on the government regardless of political affiliation it's never going to be the group that comes in and swoops in and saves the day i mean they've got too many challenges and, and things that they need to put um their time and energy to and so i think it almost comes back and rests on the 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 citizens in that place right and so for me you know i'm not a like i said before i'm not an engineer so i can't and i'm not a designer nor an architect and so i can't design buildings or streets or something like that but what we can do is I feel like if we can create, you know, interesting businesses and businesses that are, you know, um, what I would say enticing to uh, recruit someone young coming out of, of university that's 22 and that's evaluating moving to a Chicago, Austin or New York. And they're like, oh, well, Louisville's actually doing some cool things around bourbon or with NFTs and Web3. I want to go here and take a chance in that city. And so I think, you know, if, if, if everybody kind of contributes a little bit of what they're good at, um, it doesn't just have to be business, right? It can be, you know, a number of different things. I think that's how you uplift a city. And I think Louisville's done a really, a pretty good job of being unique and not having as much as the cookie cutter and, you know, fast foodization like we talked about, but um, there'll always be some of that that creeps in. And so I think the more that each citizen can bring to the table and add kind of value, I think that's where you get, where, you know, a lot of those little wins add up to some big wins. Um, and so that's that's kind of where I see that, that we can add value. Yeah, you uh, you've been working with big brands and small brands and startups. Right. I know in in, uh, yeah. in the party horses uh, group, you're working with Makers Mark, gigantic mega corporation. And at the same time, you know, an hour later, you're meeting with the local startup community and, and teaching them. Tell us a little bit more about that sort of breadth of experience and, and what that brings to the city and brings to your your life. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point, Russ. I mean, I've not just now, but in the past, I've worked with some of the biggest companies in the world, Fortune 10 companies we've, I've done projects with to, to your point, startups and everything in between. And, you know, what I've learned is there's amazing and great and talented and smart people at, at everywhere we've been um, and I've worked with. The, the issues I find most are in the big corporate enterprise world, when we talk about risk and crazy, that's not going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and which is a shame because I think you've got some of the smartest subject matter experts in those fields that know what their company needs to, to move forward in this next wave of technology or what their customer needs. But, you know, what I find at the, at that large corporate level is, you know, that person might know it and they might pitch it to their boss, but their boss isn't going to put their neck on the line because they've got a big bonus at the end of the year and they don't want to upset the apple cart. Right. 
And that's where I think a lot of frustration I've had when dealing with the corporate world um, is just their, their risk aversion, which, you know, I get to a degree, but also it's like, Hey, there's a reason you got to where you are as this big company. It's probably because you took some bets and some risk and they get a little uh, flat and and lazy once they get there. Um, But to build on your original point, you know, when we started party horses and we had a phone call with a, a brand and a company as big as makers mark in early January of this year. And we said, Hey, we're just a ragtag group of guys that came together to build this NFT. And we want to give everybody that buys it a, a rare collaborative bottle of makers mark. You know, I think if, if a lot of people thought they'd probably laugh in our face. Um, but I think we got lucky on the timing side the, they had made a couple new hires that understood the what this Web3 and NFT landscape was going to look like. And I think they took a smart bet where they said, hey, we're not going to go ahead and put our all of our chips in on NFTs or Web3. But, hey, we can collaborate and partner with this group, understand the pros and cons and what comes with it um, and still pick up um, and still be seen as innovative. Right. And so to me, I think they're a really good example of, of a brand that's not afraid to try new things, you know, maybe not a hundred percent full bore, but Hey, they're, they're willing to try some new things. And so I give makers a ton of credit. Um, they're, they're definitely not afraid to push the envelope in regards to, you know, some of the other, um, you know, large corporate enterprises that I've worked with in the past. So that to me was really exciting and it still continues to be exciting. I was just on a, um, lengthy call with them the other day. I mean, they, they still want to keep doing some interesting things with us. Uh, so the, the agility is your startups, um, recipe for success in your eyes? Is that, is that what it is? I think agility for sure. I think, um, and I would, I would add with agility, you know, and I, I know people say the word pivot all a lot, but it's true. Like, you know, the fact that like, okay, Hey, we've been testing product a for three months and it's not getting the results we want. Let's, but we're, we're, we're getting the feedback that, Hey, we need to do this, this, and this. Okay. Here's what product B needs to look like well, we're not going to wait for a full calendar year when budget releases and all this to come around and, and do product B. It's like, no, let's listen and let's go. You know what I mean? And, and do it yeah. now. And I think you just, it's just hard. It's hard when you're, when you're such a massive organization to think like that because there's so many moving pieces um, versus like, Hey, if you're a lean team of seven folks, you can, you can do that and you can do it fairly easily. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a huge advantage that, you know, startups have, over your traditional enterprise clients, no doubt. Yeah. So you've done a hard pivot like that in one of your startups before? Well, it's crazy. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this one. Um, this, this is one of my favorite ones. So we were building a, um, a tennis application for a startup, and it was partnering with the U.S. Tennis Association. So I think, you know, for those that aren't familiar, that's the same thing as the NBA or the NFL, just at the, at the tennis level. And... Um, both groups were pretty confident in what they thought they needed for the app. And what, what they thought was they needed an app to just book um, a tennis court. And we thought, okay, cool. But Hey, let us, let's talk to about 20 to 30 tennis players and make sure we understand. And what our research found was they much rather play with someone of a similar skill set. You know, there was some other things that we, we found in the research that, that, that jumped just playing on Tuesday nights at seven. Um, And, and so, you know, that was a hard conversation to have with the with the, the groups that were paying for that app that we built because they were hell bent on this needs to be the first piece of code in there. And then this and this and this. And we say, OK, we can do that. We'll take your check. But, you know, we wouldn't be doing our job, you know, as, as your partner on this 
because the data and the research, you know, we showed 25 interviews that said, no, I'd much rather play with someone that's a 3-0 plus, you know what I mean? And, 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 and so I think to your original question, I think if you've got the data um, and, and, and whether it be user stories or user research to back it up, it's a lot easier to do that instead of just saying, well, this is my gut. I, this is why you need to go right instead of left. But, you know, to me, I've always liked to have as much facts and data um, as possible because it makes it a lot easier. And I think, too, um, when you've got like we had videos that we, that we were able to chop up and consolidate to like a three minute that showed, OK, look, when you've got 25 people all saying they want this and not that, uh, that's going to that's going to get their attention. And they're going to be and, it, and the and the cool thing is, Maurice, is when you see it and, you know, you, it, it can be a little nerve wracking, especially when you've got some big CEOs and executives in a room. But the other cool thing is when they see it and the light bulb moment goes off. Right. And they're like, oh, OK. And they're like, that's what they want. And you're like, yeah. And and so that's what makes it even more fun, because if they see it and then they buy in, then the, then you really get momentum um, when you start building. And so that's that's kind of some of the experiences I've found in that space. I mean, that's the idea case that the light bulb goes up, right? It's, I mean, I've and Russ knows exactly what I'm talking about. I had some situations <laughs> where nothing happened on the other side. And they were like, yeah, yeah, your data. I don't care about your data. I keep doing what I'm doing. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay. I know better <laughs> than all of the other users. That's, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. I've been doing this for 20 oh, yeah. years. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, 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 don't get me wrong. There's, there's plenty of ego um that i've run into as well and so uh i I don't want to sit here and paint it as always you know great outcomes and and unicorns and rainbows like i said there's definitely some headstrong uh egos that you'll run into but um i think the more you know you know in regardless of data like i said if i can show it visually sometimes whether it be like an interview i think sometimes that resonates um sometimes too but yeah there's always it's not always going to be easy that's for sure (laughs) and along those lines so you talk about it's not all going to be rainbows and unicorns, right? So what has been mm-hmm. some of your failures where you just hit a wall and for one reason or the other? So yeah, um, about that. yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's definitely a few that come to mind. Um, I had a startup that I did with some friends called Groom's Q. And when we built that at, well, more of a, more of a platform, mobile platform for, it was for the, the groom side in the wedding planning process, because the wedding industry, if you look at the numbers, it's crazy. I mean, it's a multi, multi-billion dollar industry. It's pretty recession proof. Like people that are in love are going to get married. And so, um, but the, the whole industry is really catered around the brides to do's and the task and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, this was about 10 years ago, we did this. And so a lot of us were in weddings and kept being like, man, there's the same three problems that we're always dealing with. And so, um, we were like, let's just make it easy for guys because, like I said, we're pretty simple creatures at the end of the day if you give us a list. And so, you know, going back to we knew we were solving the right problem. We had interviewed well over 100 different guys that were getting married, that had been in the process of getting married. And, um, you know, we knew the tool we needed to build. But back in this is probably 10 years ago, this was our first go about building real technology and so we didn't know any better, but long story short, we didn't hire the right, um, the right development team to build it. And the, it just was clunky. It didn't work. There were errors. And like, really the only good thing that came out of this thing was, was a, this map tool that we built for bachelor parties, which is random, you know, completely random. But I mean, at the end of the day, I say that like the general platform failed because we couldn't get it built the right way. 
and we ran out of money. Um, and, and so fortunately we were able to save a little bit of face because like I said, this mapping software, um, we sold to a group and, you know, made a little bit of money, not enough, obviously to keep the thing going, but you know, it was a good learning lesson in, um, in, in what I would say, you know, picking the right team, um, being confident in who you're building and, and being confident in, in the vetting process as well of making sure that people can execute on what they say they can execute on. Um, that was one I definitely had. Um, you know, the other one I, that, that stings is I, I mentioned I, ran, I, I helped run a software development design firm. And, and like I said, we would partner globally with companies like GE and China and Dubai and build massive projects and platforms for them to startups and everything in between. And the team, this is kind of the opposite. The team that we had was, I mean, it was like the Avengers. I mean, like we literally, there was not, there was, there was rarely would there be something technical you could throw at us that I would say, yeah, we, we can't do that. Um, but we had a unique mix of designers, user experience practitioners and engineers and developers that all came together to build world-class products. Um, the issue we had was um, when I took over, I didn't realize some of the financial issues we were dealing with and you know, the stress you have of being an agency in a services-based business where you're constantly waiting on that next client to come in. And if you have you know, a, a break in that and then a, high, a lot of people on, on high salaries, um, it can snowball quick. And so um, that was one of the fairs. We had to close that down right before COVID. Um, it hurt a lot just because I knew we had arguably one of the best, I put our team against anybody anywhere. Um, so having to lay off all those folks, there's about 20 of us, including myself, um, that one still stings. And like the, the part that hurts the most too is I've got friends that run other um software design and development agencies and like they all had their best years ever during covid because all these big companies needed help digitally when you know hit the fan and so it's like man like if we could have held on you know two more months what could have been um but you know at the end of the day you can't think like that and, and i'm fortunate that I have great relationships with a lot of those folks to this day um and you never know what the future will hold but yeah it's um that's one that still stings because it was definitely it was a great culture, family-like environment, but um, some things were done wrong on the finance side that, that came to bite us in the butt. Yeah. So after that, is that when you started with NFTs? That is something that uh, I talked to a friend about the other day, uh, if we should be engaged in NFT business, but where we just held back at this point. So let us know, what, is, what are you doing in the NFT business? Uh, what is going right for you there? Yeah. So I was uh, I was actually doing a different startup uh, that I was building out um, before I got into this party horses NFT space. And so what happened was I had a good friend named Justin Delaney and Justin had had success in the business world with with two two big exits and uh, was trying to figure out what he wanted to do next. And so him and I would get together probably once a month and he'd have I mean, he's just a guy that's got 20 different businesses on his brain nonstop. And so he'd go through 20 different idea and pitch decks to me and be like, which one do you like? And I'm like, dude, some of these things, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's way over my pay grade. Um, but randomly enough, like there was this one that we both kind of took interest to and it was a, uh, it was actually a crypto coin that was backed by inflation proof assets. And I won't get to go through all the details, but it was a big, big, big swing. If we took a swing at this thing and, um, And Justin's one of those guys that's a little crazy like me and not afraid to take some risk. And 
And so I said, look, before we do, before we get any further on this, because he's not a, he's not a software engineer either. I said, let's bring in a friend of mine, Isaac Pratt, who works at Facebook, who's in this, the, the web three NFT space. And let's have him kind of spec out how crazy this thing could be. And so the three of us were getting together for, you know, almost seven to eight hours a day, mapping all this out. And it just, it was going to be too big of a bite to, to take off where, with what we wanted to do. We would have had to raise a lot of money, um, stand up a lot of things. And so, so we said, well, let's start smaller in this, in this web three world. And this is back, like I said, November, December of last year. And that's when NFTs were really booming and you're seeing sales for $4 million of a, of a monkey JPEG, you know what I mean? Going and you're like, what the hell's going on? And so, um, and so we all kind of were like, man, there's something there. And, uh, and another guy on our team, um, a guy named Brooke Smith is, uh, has done well and is, is in a bunch of different businesses. And, and he was like, well, why don't you all take my racehorses and put them on the blockchain? And we're like, well, that's a whole nother crazy thing. But when he said that, my, our other friend was, well, what if we, um, did an NFT that kind of made fun, not made fun of, but like, you know, embraced the, the racehorses as if they went to the, the track to watch the humans race. And so it was kind of a joke. And he was like, we could call it party horses. And we all started laughing. But then like, we all kind of kept thinking about it. We're like, man, that's, a, that's an interesting concept. And, and so we said, well, let's, let's figure out what, it, what it, we need to make it happen. And so fortunately, we had two people right away that were happy to invest and, and get this thing going off the ground. Um, Isaac, who I mentioned before, could build it. He's a, he's a uh, software engineer by trade. And then um, we really needed to find a couple other people to help in more on the, the artist side of things. So I mentioned Forest Giant, the company I had to shut down. Um, one of our best designers and artists was a guy named Robbie Davis, who I was still friends with. Robbie was chomping at the bit to get in this NFT space. He was like, hell yeah, man, what do I need to do? I said, well, let's all get together. So we had this ragtag team that we put together, honestly, in about two weeks. Um, and there was seven of us to start. Everybody kind of had their own lane on what they were doing. I was more kind of bringing everybody together and and that's when we decided back in late december early january let's let's do this thing and um so it took those guys about you know every bit of three months to build um what goes into party horses because party horses is what's called um it's like a, it's a generative nft project and so what that means is robbie's not hand drawing 3300 horses he draws all the traits and attributes and then isaac takes this code that we put the rarity curve in and then it's almost like a blender and what spits out are these 33 random, uh, random horses. And so, um, so, you know, those guys were busy building that we were setting up relationships. Um, like Russ talked about with groups like makers mark and event planners and, and other things like that. Um, so we could have real world utility, you know, not knocking a lot of the other NFT projects that have been out there, but you know, we wanted to make sure you had something at least backing the, the, the great art you were going to get. Um, and that was this partnership with makers mark where we did, we're doing a rare, you know, limited amount of bottles. They'll probably be, I think when it's all said and done, it'll be about 10 different bottles we'll do with them. Um, and so, so it's interesting. You get this with what we built. You've got these people that are very digital savvy that are in this NFT world that understand it. But then we brought in these, these, these bourbon collectors and hunters who, who saw the value because they're like, well, there's only going to be, you know, 3000 of these bottles that are out there. That means they're already, they're already limited. They're already rare. So educating a new group of people that have never, you know, you know, you know, downloaded a crypto wallet and, and taken funds from their bank and put it into Ethereum. And so there was a lot of education that went on um, just to get people to that point. 
but you know what i tell you what's what's really been cool and i i, I tell this story uh, quite a bit is you know when, when we started meeting people in other cities is just the diverse background of people that we've met so i was meeting with a farmer that was in a small town in kentucky that drove three hours to one of our meetups and was like yeah man i bought him while i was on my tractor and you know what i mean and just and i bought three of them and i'm like it's cool and he was like and then I, he's like he's like i he's like i got so into your alls he's like i found like four other nft projects and i'm like you know <laughs> there's none of you could have never told me that like some farmer in small town kentucky's buying random nft projects and then like i caught a flight that night and was in new york city the next day and was with a big wall street banker that bought like 10 of them you know what i mean and it's just like yeah. the types of people in this space it's um it, that's what makes it really cool is that you i've met a lot of different people um that are all all across the world and across the board um but it's been really fun to see what we've built, you know, and while it feels like we've done this thing for 10 years, I mean, I think we're not even, you know, we won't even be at a year officially until, I mean, as a group together until January, but until we launch these things till next March. So um, it's kind of wild to see how much you can do um, in a short amount of time, put it that way. Yeah. Okay. There seems to be a, <clears throat> seems to be a kind of a common thread between some of these things uh, that you're doing about building bringing together the right people, right? Whether it's a team or uh, one of the key things that seems to be emerging in the NFT space is sort of getting a, a passionate community of maybe it's bourbon collectors and investors and tech people and horse racing people and whatever else it is, right? Some, some kind of community. Maybe you could, you know, developing a community around a, you know, a thing on their phones or on their computers. That's, that's crazy too. Maybe tell us a little bit more about that, that thread there. Yeah, no, I think to your point, I mean, to start, yes, the team, I think, is is key in the fact that we had, you know, everybody knew what they needed to do to get it done and did it. Um, and so I would say a lot of the guys that we brought in are A performers, which which helps. Um, it wasn't like well, there was a lot of hand-holding and babysitting. So I think that, that makes for a much easier um, work experience, put it that way, obviously, that you're not having to explain and hand-hold. Um, and I think that the, the personality types all got along too, which is important. I mean, sometimes we've all been on teams where, you know, so-and-so wants the credit and the, and the, um, you know, and the, and the accolades. And, and then what's cool about our group is, I mean, like, honestly, nobody really cared about that. It was more about the, the, the whole versus the individuals kind of having su succeeding. Um, but to your second point, Russ, I think, yeah, what, what's really kind of come about in, and what's been really exciting is this, this community that's come from, these NFTs being um, being released in, in, into the wild is, you know, there's, I touched on it a little bit earlier. There's, we have, um, we have what we use discord as a platform to just share updates and, and really it's, it's kind of turned into just more of like a general chat um, for a number of us on, you know, just topics of the day. And then there's subsections to people talking about fantasy football, to sports betting, to sneakers and bourbon and, and anything that you're, that our group's kind of interested in there's there's different subsets and interest for people to get involved in and that's what's kind of cool too is like you know seeing not just seeing that you know that the daily and the the hourly interactions that go on um on on discord but you know there's been a number of folks that literally have taken it from like oh they met someone in the party horses discord to they drove three hours in california and grabbed some beers with some guys um so seeing like organic friendships kind of spirit kind of come up out of this has been really cool to see as well and so yeah i mean to me that's that's been a really you know when, when you when you talk about community-led you know projects this is one that to me 
you know, I don't think we knew what was going to happen. And I'd be lying if I said we did. They're like, oh, yeah, we look up and eight months from now, it's going to you're going to have all these people that are getting together for this and coming to this event. And you're like, we had no idea. We thought we were just going to build some cool art, get some bourbon out there, have some fun parties. And like, I think what's evolved is much, much bigger and better than we could have ever imagined. So to me, that's been been one of the fun things that have, that have come from this, no doubt. And it's the great people I've met. And, and like I said, not even just people. I mean, a lot of these guys are I consider my friends because. I talk to a lot of these people online more than I talk to, you know, my cousin who lives six blocks away from me sometimes. So <laughs> it's just kind of funny how some of these relationships form. Um, no doubt. It's, but it's been, it's been awesome. There's no two ways about it. Which kind of brings us full circle with the article by Greg Eisenberg, right? He, where he said in, in the article that it's going to be more community driven products versus just some big corporation that dumps something on us. Right. Oh yeah, uh, yes. yeah, absolutely. Cool. Very nice. So as uh, as we start to kind of wrap it up, I have a couple of questions for you. So, because the NFT business or the digital business as a whole is fast moving, so how do you stay current? What are you doing in that area? Yeah, you have to. I mean, you know, in previous jobs I've had, you kind of you could always follow a blueprint, right? Of like, okay, hey. You, you have this product you got to sell. Well, let's get Facebook ads or Instagram ads. And that's how you bring an audience. And, you know, there was kind of a blueprint you could always follow. And, and, in, and in this, to your point, in this world and in this space, I mean, it changes, you know, sometimes about the day. And so I'm fortunate in the sense that I've, I've got guys on my team that, that we're constantly texting and, and emailing like, Oh, did you see this article last night or hop in this channel right here and read this. And so, you know, the fact that I think we're a lot of us are entrenched in it anyways, and not just in, you know, the party horses groups, like, obviously, I've, I've joined, I'm, I'm a member in, in other groups that are bigger than ours and smaller than ours. And, you know, I can kind of take and pull things that I like. Um, and, and so, to me, I think that's been key as well is that, that, you know, you, you're, we're all kind of learning in this space as we go along. Um, but I think, I think the key thing too is, you know, we had some principles and a mission early on was, Hey, we were going to make really cool art. We're going to deliver on this bourbon. We're going to have great events and we're going to have an authentic community and not just try to inflate and puff ourselves up. And so I think as long as, as the core keeps going back to that and making sure that the community is taken care of, um, you know, we're, 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 we'll, we'll stay on top of the trends and, and what's going to happen um, because, Yeah, I mean, right now, quite frankly, it's it's been a pretty bare market for the last few months, and it's we've seen a lot of um, a lot of other groups kind of get eradicated, honestly, just because they run out of money um, and didn't really think about it, you know, from a business standpoint. Which I do give us credit, you know, we we look at this as a brand. The NFT is a part of the brand, obviously, and it's the big thing that got us going. But you know, we see a lot more for party horses down the line um outside of just the nft now the nft kind of is what gets you the, the ticket in um yeah. but you know there's a lot more opportunity that we can we can do with it and i think and i think the fact that we all at least had the foresight to look 12 24 36 months down the line and knowing that hey once again going back to what I earlier we might need to pivot on some stuff and we're cool with that but we're not looking at it as like okay hey let's look at it in, in chunks of two weeks I mean, the key initiatives, yeah, but no, at the end of the day, we're, we, we were pretty set on this is our goals. Here's how we're going to hit them. Um, that's, that's why we've had success, in my opinion. Fantastic. How do you organize that? I mean, 
planning this is is one nightmare and then you have a family right so how do you keep the balance there yeah you know i think i've been fortunate in the sense that um i can i can uh i've got a pretty flexible lifestyle right i mean you know i don't have to be sitting in discord 24 7 right and i think and i think the fact that you know the, the other cool thing is too is like there's people in the, in the community that have reached out to me that want to take on more responsibility that, you know, weren't part of the team originally um, that, that have felt such a passion and a sense of belonging that hey, they're like, Hey, like I was in New York for four days with my wife for our anniversary. I was telling you about. And so like, you know, she was pretty much like, I will kill you if you get on discord, you know? And I, so I think I got on maybe once while she was shopping, you know what I mean? And so, um, because like I said, I think it's good to, to also get away for a little bit too and clear your head. But I think the sense that, you know, um, you know, and I hate to keep going back to some of the same buzzwords, but, you know, I think I think the people that's in our group, they understand who we are and what we're about. Right. And so um, they know that, that we're there if something goes wrong and we'll help we'll fix it. We're not just trying to make a quick buck off anybody. You know what I mean? And so for us, I think the authenticity is key and that they know that, you know, we're in this for the long haul and not just a, a cash grab and, and we're done. You know what I mean? Um, and so. That's that's why I think we've had success, too, is that, like I said, we've been very transparent from the get go about what where we want to go and take this thing. Um, and I think the fact that we've um, we've 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 um, we've executed on everything so far, we said we would do. Now, sometimes things take a little longer than we had hoped. Uh, you know, what I mean, like, you know, and, and Russ is aware of that on some of the we've had some legal challenges on some things. So sometimes some of the timeline might get pushed back, you know, six, to eight weeks on certain things. But um that's not you know because we want to it's because sometimes um our attorneys are saying it's in your best interest to to push certain things back but i think literally everything we've we've said so far we'll do we've done and 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 that's been big for us it's not um over promise and under deliver but almost kind of the the reverse cryptocurrency and and bourbon and racing horses i mean what could possibly go wrong right right (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely man yeah it's a it's a wild world no doubt (laughs) <laughs> looking back at everything that you've done in the past let's say 20 years what would be what would be the message that you have for your 16 year old self or 18 or 14 or whatever that point is i think trust your gut um uh, because there's been times that it went more on the failure side when i didn't trust my gut and i would let other outside influences kind of uh kind of influence which way i would go on certain uncertain decisions so I think that's one, um, and I think I think working with with great people would be the other thing. Um, I think in the past sometimes I uh, I tried to I, I worked for someone one time because they were incredibly wealthy, put it that way, and then done well in business, right? But it was just not. I mean, it was a miserable job, and so I think things like that that it's the right people and not just who you think are the best people, if that makes sense. Um, and and that that was that was another good learning experience as well. Um, and one that, you know, has taught me is paid off in spades, put it that way. So I think, you know, trust your gut, work with the right people and, and typically good things will happen. Okay. I have one more for you. Yeah. The biggest career risky move that you've ever done, like the biggest error, the biggest mistake you ever done where you're saying like, I'm supposed to get fired over this. <laughs> We had the executives of a, um, fortune 500, uh, spirits company in a room that we were presenting on and um, kind of going back to what you talked about earlier, a lot of healthy egos didn't want like to be told they were doing things wrong. 
Um, but, you know, they were so worried about so-and-so competitors doing this and so-and-so competitors doing that. And, and I kind of stopped the room and I said, I said, guys and gals, I said, you all are too worried about your side view mirrors and not what's coming up in your rear view mirror, which is cannabis. And it's going to kick your ass. And you're all not even thinking about it. and You have no plan around it. And to me, I was like, you know, and I, and I, I think I went a little too heavy into it, but I was like, the fact that you all don't have a plan to combat that, someone, sh- some heads should roll. And, and that's when I started, you know, people started coming to me and I'll never forget my boss. Like his eyes were about to bug out of his head. And, uh, uh, but it was something that I know I, I, I knew I was right about. Um, and I, you know, I think I just got a little excited in the moment and I shouldn't have probably went as, as hard at him as I should have. But, you know, I think some of those people needed a little bit of a punch in the mouth, um, because I do feel they were worried about the wrong things when there was a much bigger storm coming. And, um, but yeah, that's one that happened about five years ago that, uh, that I still kind of laugh about. And, and my former boss will still text me randomly. He <laughs> just, uh, just what he's thinking about it sometimes too. So that's one that I definitely feel like he had my back. Fortunately, like I said, I think if it had been another boss, they would have been like fired on the spot, but, uh, um, let's make that yours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, that, that's definitely, that's definitely one that, uh, that comes to mind for sure. Fantastic, Chris. There's a there's a book or a movie or even a teacher that's really impacted you somewhere along the way. What is it? That's a good one. Oh man, that's a good one. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's a something. Yeah, um, I think someone that's impacted me because I've I've been fortunate to work with them um, in a few different capacities. Um, one was uh, this this a guy named Brooke Smith, who's a partner of mine at Party Horses. But he had invested in uh, the, the software development company that I was telling you guys about that unfortunately had had failed. Um, but, you know, I think something with, that, that he's always instilled with me is just keeping a positive mindset. But more importantly, you know, I think he's he's always talked about giving back and not always worrying about yourself and and what what's next. He's like, you know, good things will always happen if, if you're giving back. Um, and so I think I think his impact on me and just his outlook um it's, it's, it's good because, you know, he's, he's probably 20 years older than me, 15, 20 years older than me. So I think someone like that, that's got some more wisdom, that's been through some things. It's, it's good for me to have someone like that in my life that lets me, uh, you know, that keeps me in check, if you will. Um, especially like I said, cause I've been with him through, for, through the good and the bad. And, and like I said, he's someone that has stayed even keel, um, regardless. And so that, that to me has had a big impact, no doubt. Very wow. cool. Very cool. Very cool. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you here. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for being a guest in our slightly crazy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, and, I appreciate uh, you guys having me. This has been a blast. It really has. I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed chopping it up with you guys.